So uh, Olympics are upon us again every four years, and it's kind of interesting that sometimes people jump into the spotlight for maybe a couple seconds or a couple minutes, a couple hours, and we don't know anything about their lives at all, and all of a sudden they are the heroes of the world. And I remember Michael Phelps, you guys probably know about him, and he's the most awarded Olympian of all time. I think he, right now he's got 22 awards. I don't know if he has any medals this year yet. And uh, his life revolves around swimming. And so after he became kind of famous, he'd, he'd been winning golds like crazy, but the 2012, it's when really his popularity took off, and he's now the flag bearer for the Olympics for the Americans this year. And uh, they start to investigate his life and see what makes this guy tick. And you, they even found out that he eats 8,000 calories a day to maintain that muscle mass and to maybe be able to maintain swimming for six hours a day. And the kind of lifestyle he has, he's a single-minded focus to be able to do the things he does. And so you don't see a guy like that, who even somebody who's trying to qualify for the Olympics, spending lots of time partying and drinking and going to bed late at night and putting them, their, their bodies in danger by maybe playing contact sports that could injure him. When they are involved in something like this, it's a single-minded focus in their life, and they will take all measures to qualify. And I... And I've met people like this. Maybe they haven't even been qualified for the Olympics, but the way they take exercise or a passion seriously and they push for it. So um, I just want to, we're kind of talking about that, about single-minded focus daily a little bit. And I think um, two things come to mind when we talk about passion or obsession. And um, I think of Jesus's, some of Jesus's passages and, there's a parable that Jesus has. There's two of them. They're back to back. And, and one of them is talking about a treasure in a field. And if we'd be able to get that slide up there. This is the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get money, enough money to buy that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for the choice pearls. And I forgot. Okay, I got it. When he discovered a pearl, I thought I forgot that part. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So the first one I can kind of relate to, maybe I was, maybe you'd be cruising around and somehow you find this piece of property and there's no house built on it and uh, there's tons, millions and millions of dollars on it somehow, I don't know what it, but anyways, you say you buy that field, maybe there'd be a shrewd investment, that'd be something you'd be willing to do. I know I can relate to this first one. Uh, the second one, it does not... For some reason, it doesn't. It, it, it seems crazy to me that somebody's going to buy something with all that they have just for aesthetics. And it doesn't seem in this parable like this guy is willing to take this pearl and invest it later and sell it to somebody else for more profit. It's almost like this is the desire of his heart is this one pearl he's been looking for. And I think the second one really kind of almost irks me, but this is what I think Jesus is specific about that. And he's picked this story and this, this pearl because sometimes it, the absurdity and the craziness of living a single-minded focus the way this guy lives. We have so many teachings from Jesus that are like this. And sometimes I think when we listen to something like this, we, we know it's true, but we don't ever kind of see that maybe to this degree. And yet then we come across a guy like Paul who's all in, and he's almost like a real-life personification of Jesus' teachings. And I was talking to Doug about it, and he's probably the closest thing we have of somebody who's all in. So last week's passage, 
pairs perfectly, I think, with Acts 9, where it talks about Paul meeting Jesus for the first time. And that story is crazy because it's not like Paul decided he wanted to become a follower and disciple of Jesus. It's almost like Jesus chose him, grabbed him, and Paul didn't have a choice. And the rest of his direction of his life was set in stone. And so maybe he's a little bit um, peculiar in that way. That, that doesn't happen to us. But yet I just want to read another passage just talking about Paul and his all-in attitude before we kind of, just preparing us before we get into our passage. This one's in 2 Corinthians. It's kind of long, but I just want to read it. This is him talking about comparing himself to false teachers and people who think they have credentials, not to brag, but so that people will listen to his message. Um, So it's kind of a long one. Just bear with me, but I think it really shows Paul's dedication here. I think this is, this would be even more, even more so than Michael Phelps. He says here, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of the concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? So we see Paul as single-mindedly focused, and he could have decided, you know what, I've called it quits. Like, I don't know about you, but after the first time being beaten with rods or receiving 39 whippings from the Jewish leaders, I think I would have uh, maybe looked for a different profession. But this is, this is Paul, and he's all in. And something happened to him on that road to Damascus that changed the course of his life. And so I want to read, jumping into uh, verse 12 to 14 here, I want to read these and start talking a little bit about this. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this, this resurrection and the suffering and being made perfect like Jesus, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I have always read this passage and been a little confused by it. Um, especially the part about taking hold of that which Jesus took hold of me, and I don't—I didn't really know what that meant. So I started researching and looking into that because this, is, I think, is the middle. It's the most important part of this little passage. And I did a Greek study on a word here, and that take hold that phrase, and what it actually means, and what can be translated, and how they can be used in other ways. And so that word is, is kind of like almost like a tackling or a grabbing, kind of like an eagle would grab a fish. And it would sink the talons in. And, and when, it, when an eagle has a fish, if you've seen that before, and they start flying away, you know that that fish belongs to that eagle now. 
And this word is, is, is used sometimes in the Greek to describe a thief coming into your house, stealing something of yours and making it their own and grabbing it with force and, and it belongs to them now. Um, it can also be used, it was used in Greek literature quite a bit for a king goes to another kingdom, he sees a city he wants, he sets up siege and he just takes that city, doesn't destroy it, but he makes it part of his kingdom and it belongs to him and he brings it into who he is. And uh, it was even used a couple times in the Bible. One of them was in Mark 9. And this is a bad example. Well, it's a good example, but it's a, it's a bad thing that happened here. This is Jesus was talking. Um, uh, a mother and a father came up to him with a little boy, and the little boy was demon-possessed. And they said, this, this little boy, all of a sudden, sometimes out of nowhere, this demon comes upon him, and it throws him to the ground. Sometimes it tries to throw him in the fire, and Jesus cast out that demon. And that word that is used there for whenever it seizes him and it grabs him is the same word that Paul is using in this text. So, so Paul is using this aggressive, powerful word to describe how Jesus took a hold of him on the road to Damascus and he grabbed him and he made him his. And now Paul is saying the same thing. I want to I grab hold of Jesus the way he grabbed a hold of me. And it's almost written like a riddle here, but I think, I think ver- the last... Um, passage about um, giving up everything inside of Jesus is kind of the key here, especially verse 8 and 9 where he says that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I'm willing to give up everything else only that I would know Jesus and everything that comes along with him. So just like that parable that Jesus taught, I think Paul is teaching us the same thing that everything before the treasure in the field doesn't matter anymore in comparison to taking that field and all the things that come after it and taking that pearl and that whole adventure of looking for that pearl, everything that came before it, nothing compares to those things. And so Paul is all in, and he's asking us to do the same. And I think this is a kind of a key to discipleship. I was, um, I know Doug's been quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I've been kind of looking into some of his stuff too, and I have a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And some of the stuff that Dietrich says in that book, are they're, they're very hard things to say, but I think, it's an accurate understanding of what Jesus is saying. And I, one thing he was talking about is that everything that doesn't flow through Jesus the mediator is irrelevant and it's unnecessary to a disciple. So if it doesn't flow from God's heart, if it doesn't flow from his purpose, at best it's a, it's a, it can be a, a heavy hindrance on our life. At worst, it can be a tool for our destruction. And um, the funny thing is, I, was, I had a whole bunch more to say in the sermon. And... Uh, God started prompting on my heart, even as we were worshiping here, to say some other things that I don't really want to say, but I'm going to say. And um, it'll lead into the rest of my sermon. But I think I'm living in the Okanagan. I lived here for four years, and I've, before I lived in Kamloops. And I think this is a problem we see in the Okanagan especially, but I think anywhere in affluent Canada and North America. Um, the tendency to kind of forget kind of where we're headed, the direction we're heading, like Paul is talking about here. And in my own life, I can see that that happens quite often, and it's a struggle. It's a struggle to decide to put God first and to, to even have a heart, a heart cry for God and to go through the motions and yet to know that there's something deeper that we need to be searching for. And um, so I just want to kind of confess that to you because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should confess one another and to confess that sometimes my heart's not always in the right place and I'm, I'm distracted by the world and uh, God convicted me on that a little while ago. And just, just that little, a little parable from Jesus where Jesus said, 
um, with the seeds being planted. And he said, watch out for your heart. Where's your heart at? And then he just kept reminding me. And then I just thought about the thorns. And if you remember that part of the, the parable, there were seeds that were thrown to the thorns, around the thorns. And they were starting to grow and they were doing fine. And yet, sooner or later, the weeds started to come and they choked out the plant. And Jesus says later, that's, um, that's about living the good life. And you're living this life and you're enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, it's kind of choked out your love for God. And I sometimes feel that that's happening to my heart and I've got to be careful about it. And so this sermon, I may as well be sitting right here listening to this sermon. And I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. And this sermon has been good for me to kind of help me get started on the right track. And so I know what it's like with this, this Okanagan mantra or mantra, like kind of work as hard as you can so that you can play as hard as you can. And I know what that's all about, and I, I'm surrounded by that. All the guys that I work with are like that, and it's, it's kind of hard to see, and I know some of the guys are wanting to get out of here and go work back up north. They're just waiting for a chance to go back up there so they can make a killing, and then they can come back on their off weeks and just spend it all. And... Um, it's hard. It's hard within the place that we live in here. And I think if Paul was in our culture, he would tell us to be aware of that. And so I want to quote Keith Green. Um, I got a quote up here for him. And it's interesting that Warren sang about Keith Green. We're kind of talking about him too and his single-minded devotion for God as well. And this is a quote that he has. And it says, what, what you adore most, you will automatically be devoted to. So the things that you love the most in life, you don't have to make time for those and you don't have to schedule them in. They normally just appear on your schedule and other things get bumped. And I know that's, that's true for me. And I think what Paul is saying here is that um, it's kind of, it can be kind of the opposite, but I think the opposite is true too, that sometimes we need to put disciplines in our life and strain toward God. And sometimes I think the actions sometimes can follow or affections can sometimes follow actions. So in my own personal life, um, I know one thing I, I was challenged with, and so I, I talked to Kelsey about this, is kind of rescheduling my life. Because I'm a, kind of an undisciplined person at times. And so I, I said, I don't think this is for her benefit as much as for me. And we're trying to hold each other accountable. And we kind of wrote up, um, I don't know if we have that on there. It's going to look, we kind of wrote this up. You can find this on any word processor. You can find it on uh, I think you, I dem- downloaded this template, and we, I wrote up actually my whole week based on hour to hour. And some of those hours, I'm obviously at work. I can't do whatever I want to do. I got to do what my boss says. But when I come home at about three o'clock until I go to bed at about nine thirty or ten, that is it's all available time. And I, I realized that my time is just being wasted. I'm just doing what I want to do with my time, and so. One thing I did is I talked to Kelsey about this. I said, I think I need to reschedule my life. I don't know where you are at, but I want to take my life and I want to start breaking it up. And so um, I'm just going to kind of put a challenge out here. I, know, I don't know if you guys like challenges. Last night I was watching YouTube and I, I don't know how I stumbled across it, but I was, looked at this thing. It's called a ghost pepper. Does anybody know what a ghost pepper is? I think it's the hottest naturally produced chili pepper in the world. And so on the Scoville rate, rating, it's about, it's about, I think it's 2 million. And so uh, habanero is maybe 350,000. And so there's these people that go on there and they'll YouTube eating as many of them as they can in a row. And as soon as people do that, they start hiccuping and people are throwing up and people are just sweating and bloodshot eyes and bleeding noses and it's just crazy. 
<laughs> I'm not asking you that, that kind of challenge, but sometimes we watch a video like that and we see a challenge or we see um, for ALS, they did the ice bucket challenge and stuff like that. And so I'm presenting a challenge to us as a church to maybe even to think about this, to, about giving God our time. And I'm, I'm just going to suggest that maybe if you guys printed this out and just monitored, I'm not even asking you to change your life, just to monitor your life for a week. And this may be just between you and God. Nobody else has to see this little logbook. But your, your, your schedule might look different than other people too. Maybe you're, even your working night shift, it might look different. But just to write out, to be honest, and just write out how that, work, that week looked. Break it all down and spend maybe 15 or 20 minutes at the end of the week and just evaluate it and look at it and say, where's my time at? And I know I've had to do that, and even now we have a schedule, and I'm having a hard time making this a habit with beneficial things in my life. And I'm not asking you to, to change your whole life, but just to maybe look at it and look at time as something that we can offer back to God. I know when I started to do that, I realized there's so much. I, I was so busy. The last couple of months, I've felt like I've been so busy, and I've been running and running and running, and i got no time for anything. And then I start to look and break it down like this and see what am I actually spending my time on and uh, do I really have that much time um, not available or am I just wasting it? And so I just encourage you to just to do something like this or you don't have to even do it um, so rigid like me but just, to, just to, at the end of the week to think back on your whole week and to look and say, where is my time? I think time is the best gauge maybe of where our heart really is. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your heart is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And if, as, as disciples of Jesus, for us to be a disciple means we have to take on disciplines in our life. And that's something that's in between every individual disciple and Jesus himself. Nobody can impose that upon other people. But I think it's sometimes a time for us and a season for us to look and look in and evaluate our life and say, are there little habits forming in my life that are bringing me closer to God or further away? And I, I know that sometimes habits are hard to form, but once they form, um, they can be actually a place of rest for us. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about in the last couple of verses here. I just want to read these. It says, All of us who are mature should take such a view of these things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. So Paul's saying that the habits and the practices and the things we know about God live in that freedom and rest in that. And things that um, are maybe hard to do, once you start to do them and more and more and they become incorporated into your life, they actually become the habits and the dis- disciplines of of following God actually become a resting place for us, a place for us to get recharged. I know when I was so busy like that and just not actually doing anything with my life in the last little while, I felt so tired and restless and, and different stuff like that. And God has been starting to bring me back to disciplines and say, just do these disciplines. I know you don't want to do them, but just spend time with me. And I know you're distracted and your mind is running elsewhere at a million miles a second. But when I do give God that time, and it'll look different for all of us, it's a time of rest and to refocus my life. So uh, this is just a, a kind of a, a challenge here. It's not a hot chili challenge. It's not an ice bucket challenge. But it's just a challenge maybe 
and you can, you can ask me too, and we can hold each other accountable. If you're part of a small group, just to, where are we taking our time, and where are we spending it on? I think in the Okanagan, we are so busy, and we are so plugged into so many different things, and those things aren't bad, but I think it's up to us to really submit those to Jesus and say, all these different programs and different things I'm involved in, which of these do you want for me, and which of these are actually getting in the way of me spending more time with you and building your kingdom and building your community? Um, so that's about it. I hope, Chris, you're okay with that. And um, I just, I've been loving this Philippians because it's just a, it's, it's awesome to see not just Paul's teaching, but to see his testimony and to see his heart behind it, that he's willing to share how he's been struggling through things too and how he's been trying to give his heart back to God. And um, this faith that we call Christianity is so much more than following rules. It's a life. And it's awesome to be part of a community like this. And I'm excited. Our small group has kind of um, slowed down for the summer, but to pick it back up in the fall again, I'm excited to be a part of that and to, to be able to share with other people and to be held accountable and hold other people accountable. So that's another thing. I'm just going to do a little plug for small groups that if you're not involved in a small group and if you want to take your discipleship to a new level, I think that's a good place to really feel like um, it's a safe place where you, as a family you can grow. And uh, I've really enjoyed that. So um, I just want to pray and, and close here. Uh, Father God, I just, I just ask us that you, that you wake us up, um, that, you, that you show us in our hearts what the important things are in life and not to miss the potential that you have for us and the joy that we could have by following you and putting disciplines in our life. I pray as a church we will hold each other accountable in a loving way and in a way that it can really encourage each other the way that Paul's excited about here, not beating each other over each other's heads, but I just pray that there's a way that as a church that we can encourage each other and spur each other on. You have so many gems and, and beautiful blessings waiting for us and I just pray that we will seize them as a church the way that you've seized onto us. Um, just continue to light a fire in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.